Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. You guys live today? Ready for fall? Enjoying the cooler weather? Yeah, good stuff. Hey, we are jumping into Colossians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you might take that out. I also want to let you know there's a study guide for Colossians in the back. There's also a reflection guide. We put those out each week. Just some extra content to kind of help you do a deep dive into the book of the, um, that we're looking at and some discussion questions for your small groups or your family or friends or anyone that you just want to reflect with a little bit more deeply on this passage. So those are available at the table in the back. You just got a lot of new faces and want to make sure that you guys are aware of all the tools and resources that our team puts out there to try to help you encourage you along the way. I got a couple stories I want to share with you as we start today. And I want to just begin to think about um, what does it look like for us to reflect the beauty of God in our own lives? What does it look like for the character of God to begin to be displayed in you and in me? And how does that process happen? And what does our spiritual growth process look like as we move in that direction? And I want to start off with a few stories. First, what makes a man who is a strong leader, a financially well-off man, a man who has cultivated his image and by his own admission early in life, really put forward his kind of perfect family and every, wanted everyone to look exactly the right way and things to operate in exactly the right manner, a man who is used to being in total control of every detail of his life, what makes a man like that surrender control of everything and yet live with a sense of joy that seems to be unwavering? What, what causes that kind of a change in a person? When I first met John, we would eat at a nice restaurant every time. I wanted to, I was a young leader at like 30 years old, and this was an older guy who had been really successful, and so I was like, man, I want to I learn and glean from this guy, and we started going to lunch, and he would always pick the place, and when we'd come in, he knew the menu, and he knew the wait staff, and they knew what he wanted before he got there, and he was that kind of guy, just had it all dialed in, and we'd sit down across the table, and we'd begin to talk about life and leadership and all these things, and just a little bit, uh, a couple years later, I would go and I'd regularly meet with John. And when I went to go meet with John, um, John had actually been diagnosed with ALS, a disease that begins to slowly eat away. And he began to lose his physical ability to control the things that were around him. And one, son, uh, one, one day when he was coming to meet with me, I noticed that his administrative assistant had dropped him off at the door because he no longer could drive. And I said, John, let me, let me pick you up, man. And so I took him home, or took him back to his office after work that day. And then a couple years later, as he began to progress and or degress and have uh, more difficulties with his disease, I noticed as we sat down at this nice restaurant that he was struggling to be able to hold a knife. And so I had to begin to go around to the other side of the table, and I would take his knife for him. I'm like, John, let me cut your, your food up for you. And he could still eat, but I had to cut his food for him. And for this high-powered leader, uh, it was a shift to look at a guy who now could stab his food and get it to his mouth but couldn't really maintain much more function than that began to, de- to deteriorate. But here's the thing. 
as long as I knew John, he was one of the most joyful people I ever knew. I never sat down with John, and I didn't walk away encouraged because he cared for me, because he took an interest in me, because he served me. What makes a man who's used to being in total control lose control and still have joy? It's a good question. Uh, got another story for you. What makes a college girl in her freshman year of college choose to spend Friday night alone having time with the Lord? Like that's not a very normal college girl sort of a thing, is it? Uh, when you think about what most college kids are out doing, there's a thousand other things they could be doing with friends. And uh, this girl was, was, was from a, a broken home and had some baggage from her past, but that wasn't the reason why she wanted to spend time with the Lord. And this girl was engaged in sorority life and very social and had tons of friends. So it wasn't that, that she had to spend time alone because she had nowhere else to be. But she chose to spend time with the Lord. In fact, she would write on her calendar, date night with God regularly and she would set aside time on a weekend night to go just spend time with the Lord. What makes a college student do something like that? She wanted God to change her and she knew that it was going to take spending time with the Lord in order to allow the Lord to do work in her own heart. And she wanted God to shape her life and she knew college years are so critical to be shaped like that. By the way, about three years later, I actually married that girl. Uh, But that was my wife who used to do that. She used to have date nights with God and her daytimer, and she put it on there to make sure that she just spent time with the Lord because it was important to her. Time for one more story. Now, what makes a high-powered businesswoman decide to choose the role of servant to her husband and even tell him that she's going to do it? I met this lady and this couple years ago, and I began to, to watch them, and I, I got to know them a little bit later in life, but I didn't know the story before. And one time, I had the privilege of them sitting down and telling me some of their history, and they were both these just incredibly successful businessman and businesswoman, and they both had kind of these individual lives, and they were running 100 miles an hour and on their own track, and she was killing it in her industry, and he was killing it in his industry, and they were just that couple that was kind of like, man, we're going to go, we're going to run after life, we're going to do these things, and then she met Jesus, and she started going to church, and she started going to Bible study, and he wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, he hated the idea of church. He hated what she was becoming. He didn't like the idea that you now are this religious freak, is what he would say. And so there was this pushback against her. And so she didn't know what to do. She just began to pray and to pray and to pray. And she felt like the Lord told her, don't say anything to him. Just serve him with joy like you never have before. So she made a commitment in her heart. And she said, I'm just going to serve him. And I'm going to do it with a sense of joy to where he doesn't have an, he doesn't have an excuse to, or, or anything to keep me from being able to go to church or go to Bible study or doing any of those things. And he actually told me in his own words, he said, I thought it was a pretty good deal for a while. And he wasn't abusive, but he definitely took advantage of it. He's like, hey, I want this for dinner. Hey, would you go get me a drink? Hey, would you do this? Would you do that? And she continued to do it, and he didn't understand. And it scratched his head because it didn't register with who she used to be, and it didn't register with how... He tended to look at the world. He said, why would this intelligent, smart, capable, strong woman choose to serve me over and over and over, even when I treat her like this? What's fascinating was he began to ask a question. He said, it doesn't make sense. And he finally asked, he said, why are you doing this? She said, because that's what Jesus did. And she wanted to be like him. And when I got to know this couple, they actually ran the marriage ministry at our church because God had done a work in their life transforming them through that. So friends, here's my question for you today. How is your life with the Lord? Does it 
Does it, is it being changed? Are you being transformed? Are you bringing yourself underneath God's care and his direction in your life so that he's beginning to transform and change the imperfections that you walk in with? Just kind of news bulletin. Uh, we're all sinners. Uh, we all walk in with imperfections. We all have these like global things that we've walked with with life and, and we've walked with them for years, some of us. And, and God wants to transform and change those and make us look more like Christ. And so that's what we're going to look like, look at today and really over the next four Sundays. We're going to talk about how does Jesus actually change our lives. And what we're going to see is he does it in the most unexpected ways. That so often it's not what we think it's going to look like. But most of us, I think, want to grow spiritually, but we just don't know how to go about it. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to talk about our identity in Christ. And if our identity is truly hidden in Christ, then Jesus Christ will inevitably begin to transform our lives. Not, not completely in this world, and not instantly in this world, but eventually he's going to shape us to make us look more like Jesus. So let's jump into Colossians chapter 3. If you've got your scriptures, we're going to jump in there. And Colossians 3 actually follows a typical kind of a New Testament pattern. One of the things we see over and over in the Bible is this pattern that in the epistles, Paul starts a letter and he starts off with the theological grounding before he gets into the practical living out of those things. And so he starts off with doctrine before he gives us any kind of directions. He starts off with our beliefs before he starts to shape our behavior. There's a million ways that sometimes we say this in church world, but scripture gives us the indicatives before it gives us the imperatives. Meaning it tells you this is who you are and who God is and what's true before it tells you what it is that you are to do and gives you commands about how it is that you're to live. And this is actually a really important detail. Uh, Paul speaks first in Colossians about our position in Christ. Then he's going to move into our practice of living for Christ. Our position in Christ is this is what Christ did for us. Our, posi- our, our practice with Christ is what Christ is doing in and through us as he transforms and changes our lives. And it's important that we get that order, those things in order. In fact, we see this in other books of the Bible. In Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, uh, Paul lays out this beautiful picture of what does it look like for us to trust the Lord. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. He lays out this truth that we build our lives upon in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Then there's this transition where he turns. Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore... A prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he begins to lay out, this is now how you live. So one to three, here's what Jesus did for you. Now I urge you to live in light of what the truth I just taught you and figure out how that how to work that out in your life. Romans does the same thing. Paul writes uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans and he pours out the most beautiful, rich, deep theolo- theological thing that's ever been written. And he, and he rolls out this incredible theology for 11 chapters. And then you get to, uh, then you get to Romans 12. And in Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore. So the therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? He's pointing back to the first 11 chapters. I'm based on everything I've just taught you for 11 chapters. Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Take the truth of God and work it into your life so that you begin to get changed in a new way. But the order is important. Colossians follows the same pattern. Colossians 1 and 2, 
Uh, what have we been looking at? We've been looking at this incredibly beautiful uh, depiction of the cosmic Christ who created everything. It says everything was made by him and for him and, and that he rules over everything. But he's also the, the same God who entered earth of the cradle and, and was a baby. And then he went to the cross and died for us in order to pay for our sins. And then he was risen again and wore the crown and started a new kingdom as a victorious savior who had been resurrected. And so the first two chapters of Colossians, we've been looking at this deep kind of explanation of who Christ is and what he did for us. How does Colossians 3 begin? If, therefore, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So now he's going to take everything we've believed about who Jesus is and says, now, if you've been made new in Christ, now this is how you want to live. It's important. The remainder of Colossians... Uh, Paul's actually going to call believers to bring our attitudes and our actions into line with who Christ is and everything he's done for us. Saying, if if you believe all this to be true of Jesus, then live like it. And he's going to begin to point us in a new direction. In fact, um, what if we mistake, if we make the mistake of starting with a behavioral instruction in chapter 3, when we get to chapter 3, what do we what do we see that he does? He in The verses that Christine read to us just a little bit ago. He begins to talk about our sexual brokenness. He begins to talk about our anger and our, our tongue and the way we talk to others. He talks about a malice. He talks about division between people and hatred between different groups of people and all this kind of ugliness of the world. And he's saying, don't be like that. And he's going to tell us to change our lives and be in a different way. What happens if you skip chapters 1 and 2 and go to chapter 3? If you start with the behavior, what happens is you're going to end up with a Right, a, a, a spiritual system that's religious rules and rigidity and self-righteousness that's actually going to ruin your spiritual life because it's going to be all about what you do or what you don't do. And you know, what we need to understand is that Christians never start with do this, don't do that. We always start with look what Jesus did. That whenever we start about, uh, talk about our, our tra- spiritual transformation, our spiritual growth, our spiritual life, we, we always start with Christ and look what Christ has already done for us. And in light of that, then, how then should I live? My friends, do you see why this is so important? See, in the three stories I told you at the beginning of the sermon, if, if you came at those with merely understanding that religion is about you doing something better, you might have heard those stories and you might have thought that the point of those stories was that you knew that they were smarter and better and tried harder than everyone else, and so they got their lives together. But that's actually not the point of those stories. The point of those stories is that they that Jesus caused in them something to, caused them to do something that was actually not in their nature to do. It's not a normal thing to find joy in suffering. It's a very unnatural, supernatural sort of a thing. It's not a normal thing to want to go spend time alone and get with God when you could do a thousand other things. It would bring you immediately immediate pleasure. It's not a normal thing to serve someone who is hard to love and do it with joy and consistency. Those are, un, those are abnormal things. And what we see when we look at the scripture is that Jesus does things like that in you and in me. And he produces something that is new in us. And that's uh, important that we start with understanding where this originally comes from. So friends, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at these 17 verses and just trying to break down how do you and I actually change. So we've kind of set the the framework for how we're going to approach it. But let me just jump in, and we're going to try to get pretty practical. But what we're going to see is the verses uh, 1 to 4 of Colossians 3, Paul is actually 
transitioning from the doctrinal section of Colossians to the practical outworking of here's how we're here's how we're supposed to live in light of this. And so I want to give you four things today on how we grow up in Christ. The first is you have to know who you are in Christ. Friends, if you're going to grow in Christ, you have to begin by knowing who you are now that you know Christ. Verse 3 says, For the old you has died, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. The, 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 the old you, the old self, it ha- has died. It's, it's no more. It's gone. Uh, and if you look at this passage, it's re- that's repeated multiple times. It's because Paul knows we're hard of hearing. He's like, no, the old you, that, that guy's dead. That gal is no longer here. Like that, that one is no longer with us. That old self has died, but your new self is hidden with Christ and God. What does it mean that your life is hidden? It's a, it's a word that is actually kind of riffing on the idea of to hold a shield over someone in protection and safekeeping. Think about that image in all the movies you've seen, all the Lord of the Rings uh, repeats that you watched over and over and over of different things and, uh, and battles that are taking place. And you see the, the person that's got the shield that steps in front of someone else and holds the shield over someone in order to protect them from harm, protect them from attack, protect them from suffering. And that shield is placed over them in order to guard them. That's the word that it's used here when it says that we have been hidden underneath Christ's protection and his shield. The idea is that we are kept safe. Friends, what Paul wants you to understand is that your life is hidden away with Christ in God, which means you're safe, which means you're secure, which means that nothing can can get in between you and Jesus, that he's locked you underneath his protection, and there's nothing that will that will conquer him. Friend, a Christian's true life is always an extension of the unshakable, unlimited life of Jesus. Where does Paul say that Christ is? He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, Christ lived and Christ died and Christ was resurrected and Christ was exalted to sit at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And from that place, he rules as a king who's going to one day return and set all things right. But from that secure place at the right hand of the Father, he is your shield and he is your protection and you are hidden with him, which means you've got a lifeline from yourself connected to the right hand of the Father in the most secure, safe place that's, that's, uh, that's eternal. So friends, when you think about mountain climbing, um, any of you like to go mountain climbing? I don't even know the proper terminology and all this stuff, but I know enough to know that that the smart mountain climbers, maybe not the hyper-skilled ones, but the smart ones, always have another rope that's attached to them that's anchored securely above them in case they fall. And what Paul wants you to understand is that, that in, in the, the climb of your life, that you've got, a, you've got an anchor tied to heaven, and that rope is securely fastened to you, and there's nothing that can separate you from the comfort and from the security of heaven. That's how secure your life is. And you notice what he says. It's interesting, too. He says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's like a double-walled safe. It's like you're inside, and there's Christ, and then he's inside God. And what Paul's just, he's trying to just get us to understand that there's nothing that's going to separate us from the love of Christ. And if we now live in him and are with him, then our life is bound up in his life. And if he's eternal, then we're eternal. 
And if he's secure, then we're secure. And if he is good, we will be made good as well. Because eventually he's going to make us like him. And he promises to do so. So friends, what Paul wants us to understand is if we're new men and women in Christ, that we're called to live like we're, in, like, like we're new. That we're to, we're to line up our lives with, which, with that which is true of us. If, if my life and your life is hidden with Christ in God, then that life, that, that life and that connection to him ought to begin to overflow in us even now. And your new na- nature, your new self that God birthed in you is going to work itself out and produce new things in your life. So the first thing we have to know if we're going to grow up is we have to know who we are in Christ. Secondly, we have to believe what God says. It's interesting if you look at Colossians, you may remember a couple weeks ago when we look back at Colossians chapter 1, there's this kind of a, a harsh statement about us uh, that it makes. And it says uh, in verse 13 that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. So friends, just say, I was in the domain of darkness. That, that's what Paul wants you to understand. You were in the domain of darkness, which seems kind of harsh. Like, Paul, you're judging me here. I don't know. And he says, but he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so God takes us. And he says, you were under the dominion of darkness. Darkness ruled your life. And so the deeds that you did were dark. Not everything you did was bad, but you were continuing to live in this realm of isolation from God in the dominion of darkness. And he had to save you, rescue you, transfer you to a new kingdom. And in doing so, he begins to give us a new sense of how it is that we're called to live. That's why it says over and over, the old you died. Because the old you that was stuck in the dominion of darkness is dead, and the new you has been born into the kingdom of light. And that's why Paul begins this large section. It's going to be interesting. What he's going to tell us is that we have to change our lives, and what we have to do is we have to put off the old ways and put on the new ways. In fact, he uses this phrase over and over, and he says that uh, he says in verse 5 that we're to put to death what is earthly in us. We're, we're supposed to put away all the old stuff. Verse 9, he says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. And then in verse uh, verse 12, he says, put on then, and he begins to list the characters of God. Put on then this new Christ-like character. goes on and says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. And so there's this dichotomy that we live in. And what Paul wants us to understand as we kind of begin this, like what does this spiritual growth process look like? Part of what he wants you to know is that the growth process is you learning to live in this new kingdom under the rule of a new king. And you begin to look like him. And so you take on the life of Christ in your own life and begin to work it out into uh, into this new uh, this new realm of living. Now, here's the thing. When you think about your own life, um, do you ever just wonder, like, God, why didn't you just fix me all at once? Like, I, God and I have this conversation. I'm like, dude, why am I still struggling with this? Like, you're going to glorify me someday. It says you're going to change me and make me like Christ. Why not now? And and, and the truth is, like, I, I've studied this a lot. I'm a theology nut. I don't really have a good answer for that other than he's teaching me to trust him. He's teaching me to trust him. I don't know why someday he's going to instantaneously make me look just like Jesus. But right now, I still got one foot in, in kind of my old self life and one foot in my new self life. And I'm trying to figure this thing out. And what he's saying is, your life's hidden with Christ. Where is Christ in the heavenlies. He's, he's with the right, at the right hand of the Father, and yet you still have this earthly mortal flesh and life and nature that is in you, don't you? Um, so what I know about this is it's, it's a little bit confusing why Christ has chosen to operate this way, but it's not confusing in terms of how I actually live my life. 
Because I, I understand, like, I resonate with this very much. Uh, do you, can you relate to this idea that, and sometimes I, I still live in the old self. Sometimes I still put on all the old earthly deeds. Sometimes I still do the stuff I don't want to do. And then there's days where I'm like, I think I got it right today. Like, I put on the good stuff. Like, I think I did something that looked a little bit like Jesus today. That's amazing. And then, like, the next day, I'm like, oh, I'm still a grumpy old, you know, angry dude over here now. And can you resonate? Like, that, that's, this resonates with my experience. And I don't, can't tell you exactly why Christ did it this way, but I can tell you that this is exactly the way my life works. And I think it's probably the way your life works. And so what Paul is telling us, that we have to believe what God says about us, that ultimately that we are this mixed bag who's continuing to, um, who died to the old order, but we're having to learn to live in a new way. It's interesting when he says, put to death the old deeds. Uh, that phrase actually means to reckon it as dead. To look at the old deeds and say, I'm going to count those things as death. I'm going to count those things as things that lead me in a, in a direction that doesn't cause me to flourish. Now, what's the lie that the enemy often tells us? God's holding out on you. God's not going to give you the good stuff. God's, God's holding back, and if you really want the good stuff, you, you, should, uh, you should run in, in this direction to the old earthy things. And, and so that's the lie that the enemy tells. But what Paul says is that we have to begin to see those things as death. We have to begin to see those things as things that lead us and reckon them as dead. The attitudes and actions of the old ways, the earthly ways, the old habits, instincts, desires that we have, you need to understand that these do not need to dominate you any longer, that the old self has died. That God has severed the dominion, the domination of the, of the darkness to you, and he's transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And he's put the life of Christ in you. And he's put the hope of Christ in you. And he's hidden you in Christ so that you're completely secure in him. And so out of that place of being in Christ and him being in you, you begin to live a new kind of a life. Now, it's interesting when you look at this list that Paul goes through and in Colossians chapter 3, there's this kind of broken, uh, kind of brokenness to the world that's there. And uh, frankly, it's not hard to look at um, this list and understand that there's one list I would want to live in a world that looks like that. And there's another list I don't want to live in that world. You look at one, and it's talking about all kinds of uh, sexual brokenness. It talks about a place of malice and slander and obscene talk. And others, the people that lie to one another. And uh, these people that are, that are hurting one another. These people that are division, divided because of their race or uh, because of their religion. All these things. And, and you begin to see these uh, this difficulty that is there. And none of us want to live in a world that's typified by those things, do we? We'd rather live in a world that looks like Christ. The world that's typified by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. People who bear with one another, put up with one another, um, who forgive one another, who love one another, a place where peace reigns. If you look at those two lists, you don't have to be a Christian to go, well, I know which list is the right one, the list I want to live in. Friends, here's what happens in our lives is we start to think that the choices we make aren't really that big of a deal. God's not that big of a thing. I'm just going to do this little thing over here. I'm going to go do that. But what happens when you take that and multiply it by billions of people on millions of days or thousands of years? You get a world full of, of wars, of abuse, of injustice, of anger, of animosity. This is what sin has done. It's why Paul says in this passage that these are things deserving of wrath. 
because God will eventually pour out his wrath on those things in order to eliminate it because he's going to bring about a world that looks like Christ. He's going to be to bring about a world where the where Christ rules and brings peace. It's why there's this kind of death and life dynamic you see through this whole passage. When you talk about the spiritual life, Paul doesn't start off and doesn't kind of soft sell it as this easy thing, but he puts it forward as this thing that is this life and death sort of a sort of a battle that we're in. It's why he says elsewhere, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. If with Christ you died, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Because the old man is attached to that old dominion and his old ways. And it's not going to lead us to a place of flourishing. We need new life. We've put on, we've put off those old things and put on something else. When you think about your your life, I think um, one of the things that happens is we tend to start justifying these things, don't we? It's easy to kind of look at the old the old ways of doing things, the old habits, the things are, and uh, we tend to say things like, "Ah, it's just who I am." I just need to take the edge off. Ah, my family, like, that's just how we kind of blew off some steam. You know, like, I, I know maybe that wasn't the best way, but in my family, that's just, like, we just, we were honest. We were real, man. We just put it out there. And so we just, we just kind of got, uh, you know, got angry about stuff, but that's how we resolve things. And we begin to find these ways. You're like, say, we say things like, well, man, you don't understand the pressure I carry. That's just how I cope. Or, man, everyone has moments like this. What does is, what is Paul say? Reckon is dead the deeds of the flesh, the earthy ways. Put them off of you and learn to put on something new. Now, here's what I want you to take away from this is this is actually good news. What he's trying to say is you can change. What he's trying to say is you're not a slave to the old things. What he's trying to say is your family history doesn't dictate your future. What he's trying to say is that your your track record doesn't demand that you ha- that you continue to walk in that way. What he says is, no, that guy died. That guy was no more. But there's a new life. There's a new self. There's a new kingdom that you're part of. And there's a new life in you because of Christ. And he will change and transform you. And you can begin to look more like Jesus. Friends, either Paul's crazy or he's on to something here. That, that maybe your life can begin to look more like Christ, that you can begin to be consistently compassionate when you look out at others, that you can begin to not spew words of malice or anger, but you can have words of kindness. That you can be a person whose life is typified not by frantic nature, but by peaceful nature. That you can begin to be shaped to look more like Christ. Don't we all want that in our lives? And he says if we, to do that, we have to set our minds on him. Friends, you need to see yourself as hidden with Christ. Christ is the king overall, the one who is secure, the one who is safe, the one who will never waver. And if we see ourselves connected to him, then that gives us freedom to try new things and explore a new way of living and a new way of doing things. And if you continue to look at self and not realize what God has said about you, that you can actually change in Christ, then what's going to happen is you're probably going to look the same on the outside, but on the inside you're going to be a jumbled mess of anxiety, of anger, of fear, of frustration. And those things are going to begin to get the better of you. And you're, uh, Because what happens is if your identity is tied to self, um, you, your, your security is only going to be as strong as you are. 
And you have good days, but you're also going to have bad days. And on those bad days, you're going to enter into a place of despair. And when that happens, what happens, what, 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 what goes on internally for us is we feel threatened. We don't feel safe. We feel threatened and attacked and, and like our life is at risk because the thing that we built our life upon is starting to look weak and starting to crumble. This is why Paul says your life is hidden with Christ and God. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You don't have to live in that place. Allow him to do something different in you. He will change you. So friends, as we think about this, um, we want to continue to pursue Christ and to trust him and to live in light of everything that Christ says is true of us. Thirdly, if we want to grow in Christ, we have to give your right now to God. Uh, what do I mean by right now? The moment-by-moment moment stuff. We need to choose to live for God in the moment-by-moment, moment, day by day, right now, uh, every every second of life. The, the life gets broken out of these moments. And what we need to see is that, that these are not just dangers that, that threaten us, but these are opportunities for us to put on the new self. We're no longer a slave to the old self. We can put that away. But now we get to choose to put on something new and learn to live in a new way. Colossians 3.1 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Uh, when he talks about seeking, he's talking about your heart. Uh, you're, when you seek something, it's something that comes from your guts. It comes from inside. It's like, man, I want that. I want to go get that. I want to take hold of that. I'm going to pour my life into trying to take hold of that thing. And so I'm seeking it from a, from a deep place in my own life. That's a heart thing. And Paul tells them to seek the things that are above. He's talking about Christ and where he's seated. And it's not just seeking to be seated up in heaven, but it's seeking the one who's, at, who's there in heaven. That you want your character to look like Christ. You want the presence of Christ. You want, uh, you want to, uh, to live with the joy of Christ. And you want his wisdom, his power, and his instruction to, to flourish in your own life. And so we seek not just to be with him, but to be like him. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. When he says set your mind, the, the word there is this continual, continuous ongoing effort. Meaning you have to choose, choose Christ, choose to set your mind um, on him now and now and now and now. And every moment you have an opportunity to decide where are you going to aim the attention of your mind and the affections of your heart. And moment by moment, as we walk through our days, we have to redirect our mind to the things that are heavenly rather than the things that are earthly. Friends, how well are you doing at setting your mind on that which is above? How desperately are you seeking from a heart to take hold of that which is in heaven that looks like Christ? Friends, the old self has an earthly focus. The new self has a heavenly focus. The old self was, was self-driven and self-empowered. The new self is Christ-compelled and Christ-empowered. The old self operated in, in our own strength. The new self operates in the strength that raised Christ from the dead. Which life do we want to choose? And what Paul's saying is we have this opportunity to choose which direction we're going to go. Fourth thing, long for what's ahead. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So friends, what we see in this passage and what Paul wants us to understand is that our lives, our old man has died. What that means is that, that Paul's taken care of everything in the past. Uh, or um, Jesus has taken care of everything in the past. Uh, Paul's telling us about it. Paul didn't actually do it. 
Uh, just FYI, the preacher didn't actually do it either. The preacher's just telling you about it. But Jesus did it. Jesus took care of everything in the past, and our lives are hidden with him. Jesus is present in us now. He's going to help us put off the old and put on the new. But Jesus also is going to take care of the future. That one day Jesus is going to leave the right hand of the Father, and he's going to return to earth. And in that, we're going to see his full glory. And when he appears in glory, we're going to appear with him because we're tethered to him. Because our lives are bound up with him, when he makes himself known in full glory, we ourselves are going to be uh, made known in him as well because our life is hidden in him. And what that means is that, that there's nothing that can separate from us. We're hidden with him. And right now our lives are already hidden with him. But whenever he's revealed in his coming, in his full glory, we are going to be revealed to have new bodies. And we're going to be revealed to look just like Christ. We're going to be glorified as well. Friends, if your past is safe and secure in Christ, and your future is safe and secure in Christ, then why don't we trust him? That's the that's the invitation that Paul wants us uh, wants to give us today. Let me end with this. I think it's important for us to just rest in the truth of, of, of what Jesus has already done for us, and because of that, begin to live in light of it. Romans eight says this: What then? Or I'm sorry, uh, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he's also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us even now. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we were being killed all day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am certain, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if that's true, we're free. We're free to live for him. So let's choose moment by moment, day by day, to put off the old, put on the new, and walk in the truth that we've that our lives are hidden in life in Christ we We pray for us. Father, thank you for your son Jesus and the life we have in him. Thank you that he has made us new that the old is gone and we are new creations. Father, I pray for anyone in here that that maybe doesn't know the grace of Christ, doesn't know what it is to have their life hidden and secure and safe under the protective shield of Jesus where nothing can threaten him or her. Father, I pray that you might open the eyes of their heart, that they might trust you, they might trust Jesus, they might know new life, they might cast aside the old, the old might die the new might come in them. And Father, for those of us who are Christians, who are believers, Father, would you would you stir in our hearts even now to help us put off the new life of Christ.